Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success Radio show number 387. Today we're going to be talking about clarity, constant learning and connection. I'm Jo Dobbs, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage Success core team. The Engage Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine the light on good practice, inspiring people in the education enterprise. And we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to engagesuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list, and all our social media links are there too. My guest today is Kath Bishop, Olympic medalist rower and former diplomat and business coach. So welcome, Kath. Thanks for joining me. Hi. Great to be here. Love. So by telling me a bit more about you, that's an interesting combination of of, uh, of things to have done and a background. So uh, tell us more about about um, all of it. <laughs> so yes, of course it all sounds a bit more planned than it was at the time. But um, <laughs> I actually studied languages and international politics and always wanted to be a diplomat. Um, so that was the bit that I planned. But uh, along the way at university, I started rowing, actually quite unintentionally. Uh, but that became quite sort of life changing as it, you know, uh, as I got better quite quickly. And, and then as I left university, they said, you know, you've got potential to go to the Olympics. So I went on this journey for the next 10 years, went to three Olympic Games and uh, you know, got immersed in this world of high performance sport and trying to learn what that was about. Um, before then going um, back into uh, or sort of finding a way into the diplomatic world and um, yeah, both of those were actually following real kind of passions and interests. But what came out of those is what I do now, that, that they both took me into worlds of a lot of pressure and a lot of team working. And I realized that the sort of thing that fascinated me in both those worlds had been, whether it was, you know, in an Olympic rowing crew or in a negotiating team, what were the things that made some teams work under pressure really well? And what were the things that sometimes unexpectedly you found a team that was full of really brilliant people, but it didn't kind of manage to uh, really explore its potential and deliver when it mattered and very fascinated in human performance, teamwork, leadership. And those are the aspects that now I work, work on direct to organizations through coaching and, and teaching uh, on executive education programs at the Judge Business School in Cambridge. Lovely. And you've written a book that uh, was listed in the FT's top 10 business books in 2020. So tell us more about that. So the book is called The Long Win, The Search for a Better Way to Succeed. And in that sense, it echoes a lot of what I think you're uh, engaged for success. Um, discussions are around really I've always been fascinated by this question of um, what does success look like and what's needed of me to be successful what are the key criteria what what do I need to do and uh, I think you know at first I accepted what others were telling me the answer was but over time I sort of felt actually there's something missing because uh, these sort of externally imposed uh, images of what success looks like they, they just don't really they leave you a bit cold you know it's just is it just about winning a race? Is it just about getting A grades at school? Um, and I think sort of the rowing journey really gave me a chance to challenge that because I, I arrived in the Olympic squad and it was all about 
who are the winners, who are the losers, are you tough enough to win? And I got really immersed in this quite, what I think now is quite an old-fashioned sporting narrative, but it certainly exists. It's alive and kicking in, in lots of areas of sport and beyond. Um, and all the time I was trying to be the toughest, the strongest, the meanest, the last one standing. Actually, I, my performances weren't improving. I wasn't winning medals. I wasn't reaching my potential. And I went through this sort of transformation two-thirds of the way through as sports psychology started to enter much more, challenged our mindsets, challenged the way I was thinking, and to realize that I needed to define success much more on my own terms in order to then, you know, really explore my potential and enable myself to perform at a higher level. Yeah. That's then yeah. been the three. That's then been a theme. I actually sort of winning came up in the diplomatic world in terms of negotiating that the although we used to do loads and loads of research about obviously all the technical um the content that we were negotiating, there was a lot of, you know, documents and briefings about that. But when you stepped inside the negotiating room, it was really about a whole lot of other issues. It was about the human dynamic. It was about the mindset, whether people saw success in a zero-sum game way, that they could only succeed if the person opposite them you know, failed to get what they wanted. Um, and I realized that a lot of our time there in negotiations, we were trying to change people's mindsets around to a win-win mindset, around to thinking collaboratively. Actually, if we're all mm. part of a, if we all can take a share of a bigger pie, we all gain. But in the process of doing that, it means we can't get everything we want. And that was really yeah. one of the most critical elements of that whole world. Um, so I saw sort of success through a different lens. And again, it came back to this mindset piece. And then in the last sort of six, seven years where I've been working in leadership development, I kept hitting up again against this sort of winning narrative in organizations where leaders think it's, you know, it's really positive, think it's very motivating, although at the same time they'd be saying, well, we think our teams aren't performing where they should be and our engagement survey doesn't seem that good. But there's this sort of sense that it's the right thing to say we want to be number one, we want to be the winners, we want to be the best, when in actual fact that doesn't motivate people. It's quite an empty, it's quite a short-term thing. It has no meaning. If you don't know why you want to be number one, or what you're going to do, or what contribution you're going to make when you're leading your sector or when you're, you know, the, the top of, in the marketplace. What, what are you going to do with the responsibility that comes with that? How are you going to make the world a, a better place in, in the contribution that your organization makes, however small or big? If you can't answer mm -hmm. those questions, then your wanting to be number one is, is having almost no impact. In fact, it's probably having a negative impact on the engagement of people in that organization. And yeah. all of those themes sort of came together, plus the parenting angle of seeing schools striving to win league tables. And again, this sort of push that children need to have all these A-star grades. And yet again, in my leadership development world, I see people with brilliant education. Actually, they need something else to be an effective leader. They need creativity. Mm -hmm. They need to be able to collaborate and innovate a whole set of different skills, which we don't teach in school. So actually mm. those A grades, they have a limitation to what they're actually worth. And we should see a much broader picture again about what education is about. So I kept seeing this theme of success and a, na a too narrow definition of what winning means. And I really wanted to challenge that. I'm really interested in, in your sort of personal journey with that to the extent of most people who are in the business world drawing the, the lessons of the sporting world are talking still about winning uh, and all the sort of um, the, the language they use and everything else. And I think, I mean, 
it's quite an innate thing to, to, to be that sort of competitive person. And my, my husband did quite sort of high level sporting stuff and he's so competitive that he will compete on anything with you know my daughter or he's, he's even sort of you know talking about I don't know the fact that he's got his vaccine sooner than other people and things like that <laughs> which, which is sort of you know like competition to the nth degree where did you go bearing in mind you know you, you were highly competitive in, in your role and you did a, a, a job that I guess most people don't ever get to that want to do it you know being a, a diplomat is I think seen as quite a uh, uh, you know, not many people get to do that, even if they w- would want to. So your themes in your career have been about sort of getting to the top, if you like, but that's not where you've you've ended up. So what was that shift for you? Yes, and and I think it is that realization of having been in those worlds, lived those worlds, breathed those worlds, and then thought, actually, there's a better way. We're we're not yeah. optimizing what we're doing. Um, there was a big shift in sports psychology that came in sort of two thirds of the way through my career that really challenged my thinking and helped me get out of a hole where I was, you know, that nobody could try harder, nobody could be tougher than I was, but actually I wasn't winning medals and I had two very disappointing Olympics. Uh, and it was then that this sort of um, the, the performance mindset thinking started to become much more mainstream. In fact, just sports psychology in itself became much more mainstream across Olympic sports. Um, And, you know, one of the key tenets behind that is the separation out from the concept of performance and results. So we all want the results. That hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. We want to win. There's nothing wrong with that. But actually the way to improve, the way to optimize those results is we have to focus on our performance, all the things within our control. And we need to accept Mm -hmm. that actually the results are dependent on lots of things outside of our control. We can optimize what we bring to that, but actually, you know, sports results will depend on umpires, referees, weather, injuries, luck, you know, all sorts of things come into that. So actually pinning everything on the result is not a sensible way forward. Um, It also Mm. means that we, we kind of take the focus off actually improving all of the things within our power to improve. So we've become world-class at improving in order to optimize our chances of winning but the focus isn't i want to be world class at winning not because i don't want to win but because my best chances of winning are to focus here and now on improving so you get this Mm. learning mindset that's really powerful and that's actually what's driving athletes now from the outside we don't see that we see them win or we see the kind of media pull out the results side so we're still kind of given that external lens that it's all about the results on the day but actually, you know, one of the other things I realized was there are lots of people who, who win, who don't necessarily feel that fulfilled, who have, you know, who kind of afterwards crash as well, because that moment of yeah. winning hasn't been connected to anything that comes thereafter. So again, if this sense of, you know, the results and success is something that, that's external to you, then it doesn't bring you much fulfillment. It often also mm-hmm. doesn't enable you to perform and it doesn't give you that deeper resilience and creativity that comes from having intrinsic motivation rather than extrinsic motivation. So the medal in itself isn't really enough to get sustainable performance and to kind of overcome all of the hurdles that get thrown at you. So it was when the sports psychology came in and said, right, let go of the results and actually focus on your performance and focus on it in a really broad way. So not just how fit and strong you are, but actually all of these other aspects that mindset, recovery, collaboration, communication, because you need all of those in order to have a world-class performance at the Olympics or world championships. 
And therefore, you need to be improving those every day. Even if they're less visible and less measurable, they are really critical to peak performance. And you haven't been investing in those. And that's one of the reasons why you, you're not optimizing your potential. You're not getting the best results because you're not improving all of these aspects that go into your performance. So think about mm. what's required to beat the rest of the world and then make sure that your kind of daily picture of success is based on improving all of those. And so success becomes about improvement, not about outcomes that are in the future, dependent on external factors, short-term, short-lived as well. Actually, you create yeah. this daily sense of improvement. It's much more resilient because, again, you know, you'll have some good results and bad results, but all the time you're learning, all the time you're growing mm -hmm. through it. So then mm -hmm. over time you get the best, you know, you optimize the results. But you also start learning in a broader way that isn't purely, well, I, I learned how to win a medal. Actually, I learned how to build a team. I learned how to be a good team member. I learned how to communicate. I learned how to manage pressure. And by becoming conscious of those things, actually the experience itself feels much more enriching. And I've got stuff that I can take with me after the medal. A medal has a kind of bigger purpose for me um, mm -hmm. and also connects you know, that connects with, with the sort of broader sporting communities who are who want to be part of it as well. Yeah, yeah. I love the whole emphasis on the continuous improvement. I was listening to a podcast recently of a guy who'd built a business and then um, it's an IPO. He, he ended up, you know, with lots of money and everything else. And, and he, he constantly says, you know, I, I was reaching this goal. And then when I got to it, it didn't mean what I thought it did. And I didn't know what to do next. I needed, you know, something else sort of thing. And it, it strikes me, had he been focusing on the improvement rather than the end result. When he got to the end result, <laughs> he wouldn't have been so disappointed with it, I suppose. Um, so, exactly. It provides that sort of ongoing infinite peace almost, whereas the results mm -hmm. are kind of, you know, come at certain points in time. And therefore you get these crashes afterwards. You get this drop, you get yeah. this vacuum, this void even, because we've got this big summit we're working to and, and then what? And then we sort of crash. And that's, exhausting it's draining it's you know it saps our energy and we also yeah. are not learning we're, we're kind of overlooking that ongoing learning piece i mean it goes back to the concept of mastery something that's a very ancient concept um you know that the more we learn the more there is to learn that goes back to sort of practices of buddhism and beyond that it's also part of the martial arts sports where i think you see a really great underpinning philosophy that is often absent mm. in some of the other sporting world and absent in our organizational life yes yeah and it creates that sort of resilience as well that even if you don't end up with what you're aiming for you have improved along the way and you're in a better place than you were when you started even if it's not quite the place you intended <laughs> sort of thing exactly exactly <laughs> learning is at the heart of resilience for sure mm -hmm. so talk about how that then has uh, sort of moved into the business world for you in terms of your coaching and, and, and what the long win approach is that you talk about in your book. Yeah, so the long win started back then in, in that sort of third Olympics with the sort of beginnings of performance thinking, separating out performance and results and getting clear about a broader set success criteria. So the, there are three C's of the long win, clarity, constant learning and connection. The clarity piece is about thinking not just about the medal, but actually why does the medal matter? The purpose, the why that, that sits behind these short-term markers, if you like, the results that we get. It's also about uh, 
having a broader perspective, if you like. So it's not one result. It's not one point in time. It's about, you know, what makes me successful today and what's the longer term piece that I want to be part of? What's that longer term shift or change beyond myself that, that this result is going to be a part of? Maybe, you know, for me, it was the growth of women's sport, something that's ongoing. What can I do to show that women can win and the sport that previously British gymnastics, US gymnastics, where there's been abuse along the way, um, and, and that's not okay. It's not okay to win a medal and come out of it with, you know, a long history of really poor experiences or, you know, an ongoing mental health issue. How you win, how you go about pursuing success matters, because that experience stays with you. I don't carry medals around with me, but I do carry all of the experiences I had from that time. So that focus on clarifying what's experience you want to have and what's experience you want others to have around you. That's something I use a lot with teams, with leaders, so that we think much more about the, the culture, if you like, and, and the way we go about achieving results, which in itself is always a great fuel, a great engine to better results. But, you know, having goals around that process, around the how in themselves, not just these in the future outcome goals. So clarifying those broader success criteria, then the constant learning mindset that we spoke about there, that actually that is a part of success. It's what you're learning as well as the outcomes you get, because you won't be able to control all the outcomes. And my goodness, the last year has, has you know, thrown a lot of business results completely out the window. But has that stopped people learning? No. In fact, actually, people have often had an incredible year of innovation, adaptability, forced to do things differently, and huge learning. So let's capture that, because that is going to be critical to future results. So recognize that, create you know, the space, the opportunity, the feedback culture, space to reflect, to you know, share ideas, and, and really fuel learning within the working you know, within the work experience, if you like, within each day, within each meeting, each interaction, have a, an element always that you're learning. And then the last piece is connection and the real prioritization of human connections in everything we do. Because what I constantly find is that there's an emphasis on tasks. The tasks are written down. Everyone has their to-do list each day, which never gets finished. And everyone has all of their meetings and their electronic calendar and all of the sort of agendas and action points that come out of that. But the thing that's driving the quality of all of that, the thing that we need in order to be successful is really good, effective relationships, authentic relationships, collaborative relationships that will last. And we need to invest in those. And actually, if we put that first, rather than at the bottom of the to-do list, if it even appears on the to-do list, then that also transforms our experience of the workplace. But it also leaves us you know, much more open to learning, to new opportunities, to creating a much stronger support network, much more resilience from the support you would then get from those people, you know, and, and ensuring you've got people who challenge you, support you, inspire you, help connect you, champion you, you know, that full range of connections that bring meaning to what you do and actually are also part of building a, a, a more collaborative way forward rather than it's you against the rest of the world which will only limit mm. your performance. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to throw a random question in here. I'm not even sure where I'm going with it. <laughs> we, we were having a discussion today. We have a, a group of what we call wicked thinkers within the movement, and we have a, a regular meeting where we talk about you know, current topics and the state of engagement and that sort of thing. And one of the themes in the recent weeks has been about 
the the whole sort of gap between the senior people having a view uh, quite positively about how things should be and how people should be managed and, and led and all that sort of stuff and and how things really end up being in the business um if you like and we were mm. sort of saying that there's a gap between the intention at the mm. very senior level mm. and then what happens is it filters through the sort of middle levels of the organization and mm. i think if you talk to many managers they probably totally agree with everything you've just said but when they actually get that and sort of you know, rubber hits the road the way that they manage doesn't fit within this sort of um uh, approach. What are your thoughts on that? On how you take these, what what are often operational managers who've got a hit target, who get that there's probably a better or a different way of doing things, but can't quite see how to do it differently. So, this is absolutely not about taking away from performance. This is about sustaining and creating higher performance by enabling people to support each other, challenge each other, creating those cultures where people are yeah. thriving rather than having to hit those targets, you know, despite the, the culture, if you like. I, I think there's a really important, um, I, I think we don't always help managers to understand what culture looks like beyond the mm. top articulated level. And I think, yeah. you know, going back to the sort of Edgar Schein world of the different levels of culture, it's really important to think about, um, you know, and that's why I use that word experience quite a lot when we were discussing just now. What's the experience that people are having? What's the stories that they tell rather than what are your intentions? So I want mm. everyone to feel like they're thriving, but are they thriving? How do I find that out? I need to make sure that I'm having conversations to learn, um, you know, what the experience is of doing jobs at a, at a more junior level or at different places in, in the team. Because if I don't understand that, then how can I help people to thrive and perform at a higher level? How can I support people to hit the targets, to, to reach the results that, of course, we still, we still need to get? So this yeah. should be about creating, um, you know, a, a stronger team that will deliver those things. And if we're struggling to hit all those targets, then what we're, we're potentially missing out on a way of building more capacity, building that sort of the, the learning fuel that means we're constantly improving rather than doing things as we've always done them before because that's how they've always been done. And that limits, again, it limits personal growth, it limits that team growth. So I think, you know, having a, a the, the learning mindset is always the most helpful thing, I think, to be thinking, what are we mm -hmm. learning here? How else could we do this? What alternatives are there? Um, what have we learned from from the way this happened last month? You know, what else can we try? Uh, what are those ideas? And having conversations around learning that that are always uh, an opportunity then for people to throw things in because there's no right answer. So we just mm -hmm. want to try some new things. We want to know what those alternatives are. Um, but having those, you know, I guess having those relationships where it's not a transactional piece. It's actually thinking what's the what's the experience you're having at the moment? I need to people need to trust me to answer to answer that question. So you have to be building up that connection with who people are at a slightly deeper level. But then you are able to develop people at that level. You are able to support them to fuel the performance at that level. Because if we stay on the surface level, we really can't change what we're doing. We can go a little bit harder, a little bit faster, but that burns out pretty quickly and has a massive limitation. So the only way we can then actually fuel the performance to hit the targets that are probably going up all the time is to invest 
invest in people at that deeper level to understand what you know how can we bring the, the sort of sense of purpose to the work they do what are the things that drive each of us understanding those drivers understanding the, the sort of autonomy that we can give other people the sort of fundamental intrinsic motivators of purpose autonomy and mastery again you know and, and that learning piece what do you want to get out of this job what do you want to learn from you know being in this role what do you want to to take from this role and you know, in what ways can you you know experiment explore grow get some more advice um you know get some feedback so that we are you know if you are fueling others to learn then they will be driving their own performance as well as then bringing you know others into that that kind of learning mindset and those learning conversations mm-hmm. um it's, I guess it's more important than, than ever now with everything that's happened in, in the last year of the, the pandemic. And it sort of feels like we're, we're starting to come out of certainly where we were. I'm not sure we're going <laughs> to where we're going to end up. But um, the last year we've been sort of managing during um, a pandemic. Um, oh, I think Kath's gone. <laughs> I don't know where she disappeared to. Um, so I was about to ask her, but... Uh, We've been managing sort of during a crisis, and and it feels like perhaps it's it's less of a, a crisis, or it will you know it's it's becoming more business as usual. And what implications does that have for us moving forward? Um, but as she's not here, she can't answer that question. She's just coming back. Here we go. <laughs> I'm back. You're back. I'm back. Excellent. Well, I don't know if you heard my question. Um, just the fact that it's it's a uh, um, really important more than ever to to sort of bear these things in mind i i was saying um whilst you were <laughs> not here um that we've Sorry. been in managing through a a pandemic and not that we we're, we're out of it by any stretch of the imagination but we certainly feel like we're moving into a new phase so you know what what are the next steps what's what's the, the importance of this now for the next sort of 6 months 12 months of of business as things start to sort of develop again so I really think the, the the timing that I could never have foreseen that's uh, why I think the book has chimed with so many people is that we have had this space to reevaluate what matters because we mm. in a lot of cases and a lot of businesses you know we haven't been able to get those short term results we've had to let them go and we've had to deal with things that are way beyond our control and that then forces us to think well what is within our control it is within our control to to keep learning to keep exploring to keep adapting it is within our control to support each other to connect even though it feels difficult we've actually you know like never before valued connection uh, and i hope that stays with us i think we've really valued the need to to reach out deliberately to support others that it's not enough just to to wave on a screen we have to find another way to support and, and connect with each other um, and to realize we're all having a really different experience. So we've been forced mm-hmm. into that realm of um, learning and connecting and clarifying, actually, well, if we're not going to hit the results, what, what, what are we, why are we here? What, why should our company keep existing? Why should our team keep existing? You know, is there still a need for whatever it is that, that we provide in the world? And if there is, how can we deliver it in a different way? How can we reshape that? So all of that has pushed us into this world of clarity and constant learning or clarifying, I should say, 
constant learning and, and connecting. So I think there's a, mm-hmm. you know, we've, we've done a lot of learning in those areas to, to hold on to. And we've had this opportunity to think about, you know, actually what matters to reevaluate the, the values, the, the sense of priorities in our life. And some people have gone through a whole range of decisions and, um, and different perspectives on what matters. So, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's a time to now to bring that into the way our workplace evolves. It won't go back. Mm-hmm. We need to evolve. We need to keep co-creating. And that in itself is going to be a learning process, learning how yeah. we manage the way we've been, the things we take from that. And how we can combine that with what we did before in order to have, you know, a, a kind of even better way of doing things that will constantly be refining and reviewing. We need to have that learning mindset going into that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And just reflecting on those those three areas, clarity, constant learning and connection, as you say, it just feels like we've done that this year because we had to. <laughs> Let's hope that organisations continue to do that moving forward because it's important, not just because. Yeah, now we've learned that it can help us in a crisis. Uh, we should keep that learning um, to, to take it with us. I mean, for sure, what, you know, uncertainty that we've had this year, we're, we're not going to move into a certain world at any time. Um, no. So, you know, managing uncertainty, unpredictability, um, you know, and all of the challenges that come with that is going to be a part of, of the future. So these skills are, you know, key to, to maintain and, and continue developing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Thank you, Kath. It's been really interesting talking to you. And um, and I love the fact that you disappeared and came back again and we carried on. And <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> lovely. Thank you for uh, joining me today and for sharing that lovely information. Thanks a lot. Brilliant. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So to let you know, next week I'll be back with Eileen McDarg and we're going to be talking about uh, her book and the concepts from that, which is uh, Burnout to Breakthrough, Building Resiliency to Refuel, Recharge and Reclaim What Matters. So I'll see you next week. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.